Hey there, it's Kathy. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to History of the 90s early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At midnight on August 1st, 1981, television was revolutionized with the arrival of a new cable channel. The station, dedicated entirely to music videos, crackled to life with footage of the Apollo 13 spaceship blasting into the air. Ladies and gentlemen, rock and roll. Within a year of its debut, MTV, with its dazzling graphics, fast-paced programming, and hipper-than-thou sensibilities, began to exert an influence on everything from fashion and advertising to network television and feature films. But most impressive was MTV's role in music. It became instrumental in the success of musicians like Prince, The Cure, Eurythmics, and Madonna. It helped tear down racial and sexual barriers in pop music, as well as playing a crucial role in bringing back dance music after the demise of disco in the 1970s. And it helped rap, hard rock, and heavy metal become mainstream. By the end of the 80s, MTV had become the single most influential force in pop culture. It was the golden age of MTV and music videos. And as the calendar flipped to the 1990s, it felt like the golden age might go on forever. Music videos were like blockbuster Hollywood movies, with big budgets and anticipated release dates. So when an artist's video caused controversy, it was big news. I'm Kathy Kinzora, and this is History of the 90s, a podcast about a decade that changed the world. On this episode, we look back at some of the most controversial music videos of the 1990s. More than any other artist who emerged from the MTV era, Madonna's videos had a knack for causing a fuss by pushing the envelope in a variety of ways. In 1986, just four years into her career, Madonna's video for Papa Don't Preach ignited fiery debates between feminists and anti-abortion activists on the issue of teenage pregnancy. In the video, Madonna portrays a pregnant teen from a working-class neighborhood in Staten Island who tells her dad, played by Hollywood actor Danny Aiello, that she's keeping her baby. Planned Parenthood said the song and the video promoted teen pregnancy by sending a message that getting pregnant is cool, and they urged radio stations to stop playing the number one song. Other controversial videos followed, including the sexy Open Your Heart video in 1986 and 1989's Like a Prayer, 
which threw the religious right into a tizzy because of images of burning crosses, stigmata, and Madonna kissing a black saint. When the Like a Prayer video dropped, the singer had just launched a massive ad campaign with Pepsi that included a TV commercial featuring the song. And because of that connection, the American Family Association called for a boycott of Pepsi, which led to the soft drink maker pulling the ad after it aired just two times. Despite the drama around Madonna's videos, MTV had never refused to play her work. But that changed with the video for the song Justify My Love. The moody, ethereal song co-written by Lenny Kravitz was one of two new songs on Madonna's greatest hits album, The Immaculate Collection. Justify My Love, which was released as a single on November 6, 1990, has a great beat sampled from a Public Enemy song, but let's be honest, it isn't one of her best. And it likely would have been forgotten among Madonna's discography of bangers, but the video for the song made that impossible. It was directed by French filmmaker Jean-Baptiste Mondino, who swept the MTV Music Awards in 1985 for the Don Henley song Boys of Summer. Madonna's video begins with her being seduced into a hotel room by her then-boyfriend model Tony Ward. It features an assortment of androgynous characters and showcases imagery of S&M, voyeurism, and bisexuality. With its gorgeous, gauzy aesthetic, the black-and-white video looks and feels like a French arthouse film. But when it was submitted to MTV on November 26, 1990, the cable channel issued a statement saying they, quote, "...respect Madonna's work as an artist and think she makes great videos, but this one is not for us." And they cancelled a planned premiere of the video. The issue was a brief display of an exposed nipple, which violated MTV's no-nudity policy. Canada's Much Music also decided to ban the video, saying it was inappropriate for air. But within hours of the video being banned, Madonna and her record label, Warner Brothers, used the controversy to their advantage. They announced the video would be released for sale on December 18th, making it the first video single to be sold to the public. It was a brilliant marketing move, and for many, just a little too perfect. Industry cynics wondered if the shrewd pop singer had planned to sell the video all along. Both Warner and Madonna denied that had been the original endgame. Even though the steamy video didn't air on MTV, it was seen on TV in a couple of other unlikely places. On Saturday, December 1st, 1990, the weekend it was supposed to premiere on MTV, a clip of the Justify My Love video was shown on Saturday Night Live as part of a Wayne's World segment. Then on Monday, December 3rd, the five-minute video was played in its entirety on the ABC News program Nightline, followed by an interview with the material girl herself who called the video a celebration of sex. Looking like the picture of propriety in a high-collared black buttoned-up dress, Madonna was questioned by host Forrest Sawyer about the decision to make a video with nudity. You know that nudity, or at least your record company knows that nudity is, is banned by MTV. They're not going to allow any... Well, let, I'm not so sure about that because when I did my Vogue video, there's a shot of me where you can, I'm wearing a see-through dress and you can clearly see my breasts. Now, they told me that they wanted me to take that out, but I said I wouldn't and they, they played it anyways. So, 
I thought that once again I was going to be able to bend the rules a little bit. She went on to ask why sexuality is a no-no on TV when it's okay for kids to watch movies where bodies are basically ripped to shreds. In the end, the controversy turned out to be a publicity and financial coup. Following the MTV ban, Justify My Love spent two weeks at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 singles chart. And the video single sold over a million copies worldwide at $9.98 a pop. Over a decade later, Justify My Love barely raised an eyebrow when it finally aired on MTV2 in 2002. That's because what was highly controversial at the beginning of the 90s is actually quite tame by the standards of the new millennium. Today, more than 30 years later, Rihanna, Beyonce, and Nicki Minaj dominate the internet with sexy videos that would have caused MTV censors to explode. Justify My Love wasn't the only controversial Madonna video released in the 1990s. In October 92, Madonna was gearing up for the debut of her highly anticipated eighth studio album, Erotica, which was paired with the coffee table book Sex as part of her $60 million Time Warner deal. The video for the album's title single was released just ahead of the album and immediately caused shockwaves. The grainy black-and-white video was mostly made of Super 8 film shot during the photo sessions for the book Sex. It stars supermodel Naomi Campbell, actress Isabella Rossellini, and rapper Big Daddy Kane, and splices together arty shots of Madonna as a dominatrix, complete with mask and riding crop, harnessing men and women on leashes, and various other BDSM imagery. The actual song is almost incidental. The real star of the show, once again, is the provocative video. But because it did not contain nudity, MTV said it wouldn't ban it. Although, in the end, the cable channel actually played it only three times. It came with a warning from the channel's news anchor, Kurt Loder. The fantasies in this clip are of bondage, domination, and submission, practices that have a long, if not always honorable, history of representation in books, films, and photography. Some people have no objection to such role-playing games as long as they're consensual. Others find such practices repellent, which is why MTV is not airing this video in regular daytime or evening rotation. If you're among those people who find such themes distasteful, you may want to call it a night right now or switch to another channel. Here's Madonna with Erotica. It premiered at midnight on Saturday, October 3rd, and then ran two more times in the wee hours of the morning on October 4th, before it disappeared from the airwaves. In Canada, Much Music was also nervous about the video, choosing to play it just once as part of a midnight panel discussion about the video's contents. Fuss over the video was soon forgotten, with the release of the much-anticipated coffee table book Sex on October 21st. The oversized spiral-bound book includes 128 pages of X-rated photos of a naked Madonna as Mistress Dita. She is joined by an assortment of men and women, some famous, including rapper Vanilla Ice. At the time, Madonna was criticized for going too far, but today the singer says she helped pave the way for the next generation of famous women like Cardi B, Kim Kardashian, and Miley Cyrus to be free to flaunt their sexuality. In an Instagram post on the 30th anniversary of the release of her book, Madonna said, quote, You're welcome, bitches. 
While Madonna was making waves with sexy videos, the music world was expanding in other areas, thanks to a movement of scruffy, disaffected musicians in Seattle. Grunge music went mainstream with the simultaneous release of three revolutionary albums in the fall of 1991. But just one of them contained a song that would be banned on MTV. Soundgarden's Bad Motor Finger came out on September 24, 1991, the same day as Nirvana's Nevermind, and about a month after Pearl Jam's 10. Bad Motor Finger was Soundgarden's third album, and initially, it didn't receive the same kind of attention as the records by Nirvana and Pearl Jam. And according to Soundgarden guitarist Kim Thiel, that was likely because their lead single was banned on MTV. Despite its title, the song Jesus Christ Pose is not about religion. According to the band, it's actually about rock stars and other celebrities who play the part of vulnerable, suffering artists who sacrifice everything for their fans, whether through a certain attitude or onstage gestures like the classic arms outstretched pose. But that didn't matter to religious groups who called Jesus Christ Pose anti-Christian. And that was before the video was even released. The video, which showed the band members in a desert, was filled with images of crosses, including upside-down and burning crosses. But what caused the most shock was the image of a crucified woman. It was too much for MTV, who initially banned the video. But eventually, they relented and allowed it to be played only late at night on the Headbangers Ball. Despite the controversy surrounding Jesus Christ pose, Bad Motor Finger became Soundgarden's big commercial breakthrough thanks to a much more TV-friendly video for the album's second single, Outshined. There's a certain expectation for rock stars and pop stars to be controversial, but it's not often that you see country stars in hot water, at least not in the 1990s. But that's exactly where Garth Brooks found himself in May 1991. The country superstar was riding a wave of popularity after the release of his groundbreaking album, No Fences. Released in August 1990, the record had become a massive crossover hit, selling more than 3 million copies and earning Brooks six trophies at the CMAs. It seemed like nothing could stop the singer. His fourth single from No Fences was a song about a cheating husband, written by Brooks and Nashville legend Pat Alger. Put on the wind and rain, a strange new perfume blows And the lightning flashes in her eyes And he knows that she knows And the thunder rolls The Thunder Rolls is one of Brooks' most recognizable songs But it wasn't initially meant for him After writing it, Brooks and Alger pitched the song to Reba McIntyre and Tanya Tucker Tucker liked what she heard and recorded a version that included a dark fourth verse, which depicted the wife in the song using a pistol to put a stop to her cheating husband. In the end, however, Tucker decided not to use the song at the time and left it off her album. That's when Brooks decided to make his own version of the song without the fourth verse. But Brooks regularly included it in live performances. She runs back down the hallway Pistols kept in the treasure drawer. 
When it came time to make a video for the single, Brooks didn't sing the fourth verse, but it was referenced visually in a storyline that went even further. The video shows a disguised Brooks playing the adulterous husband returning home to his wife and daughter. The wife, whose face shows signs of a beating, confronts her husband and she's beaten again. Then when he goes after their daughter, the wife takes out a gun and shoots him. Well, that was just too much for TNN, the Nashville Network, and CMT, Country Music Television. Both cable channels banned the video. CMT actually played the video for about five days before yanking it from rotation because of negative responses from viewers. The cable channel's GM, Bob Baker, criticized the video because he felt it didn't parallel the song, and Baker called its depiction of domestic violence gratuitous. TNN never aired the video and described the violence in it so graphic that it left viewers feeling helpless. Program director Paul Corbin said they would air it only if it was put in proper context, which was something they had approached Brooks about. The country star was asked to tape a statement which would play at the end of the video and offer an 800 number for victims of domestic violence. Brooks agreed and recorded the statement, but then at the last minute, in an unexplained move, Brooks's team asked TNN not to air it. The decision by TNN and CMT didn't sit well with country radio, with some stations starting a Save the Video petition in support of Brooks. TNN and CMT didn't back down, but VH1, which aired country music videos in certain programming, eventually played the controversial video. Meantime, the single of the Thunder Rolls remained in heavy rotation on country radio without the controversial fourth verse, and it reached number one on the Billboard Hot Country songs. In October 1991, the video for the Thunder Rolls was named Video of the Year at the CMAs. Brooks actually swept the awards that year, picking up trophies for Entertainer of the Year, Album of the Year, and Single of the Year for I've Got Friends in Low Places. Since then, the Thunder Rolls has been covered by many bands, including the metalcore group All That Remains in 2017, who put a new spin on the country classic, but also left out the controversial fourth verse. In 1997, the British hard rock techno group The Prodigy released their album Fat of the Land. For North American listeners, it seemed that the group had emerged out of the UK rave scene like a nuclear explosion. I'm a the Prodigy lit the music charts on fire with the single Firestarter, sung or shouted by the group's dancer turned frontman Keith Flint. But their overnight success in North America and other parts of the world actually came following six years of growing popularity in the UK, where they had multiple hits from their first two albums. The real mastermind of the band was Liam Howlett, who wrote all the music and quietly controlled the group. But after Firestarter was released, Flint became the face of the prodigy. The video for Firestarter shows Flint with spiky hair, piercings, and bulging black ringed eyes leering at the camera as he leaps around an abandoned subway tunnel. When it first aired on Top of the Pops in Britain, the music TV show got a record number of complaints simply because Flint was so scary looking. 
Plus, a British tabloid called for a ban of what they called the sick fire record, saying it was a straightforward incitement to pyromania. So by the time the third single from the Fat of the Land was released, the group was no stranger to controversy. The band maintained the song, which contains just two lines, change my pitch up, smack my bitch up, had nothing to do with physical violence against women. Liam Howlett said, smack my bitch up is a phrase that means doing anything intensely, like being on stage with extreme manic energy. You might say, we were smacking the bitch up. In fact, he said the song was a tribute to early hip hop b-boy culture, with the offensive line coming from Give the Drummer Some by Howlett's favorite rap group, Ultramagnetic MCs. But critics weren't buying it, and they accused the band, who had been called the Sex Pistols of the 90s, of using provocative language for shock value to maximize on their growing popularity. A spokesperson for the Los Angeles chapter of the National Organization for Women said the song sent a dangerous and offensive message that advocated violence against women. And it said it was deplorable that Madonna's record label, Maverick, had put that kind of message into the mainstream music market. But the label, which was half-owned by Time Warner, said they had passed the song through an internal review committee, which meant it didn't need to be sold with a parental advisory sticker. A spokesperson for Madonna said that she is firmly committed to artistic freedom and would never restrict any artist on her label from saying what they want to say, whether she liked it or not. After the National Organization for Women raised concerns about the song, both Walmart and Kmart pulled the album Fat of the Land from its stores. When it came time to make a video for the controversial song, the prodigy decided to up the ante. In an interview, Liam Howlett said, quote, no radio station was gonna play the song, so I thought we'd make a video that no one would play either. The band turned to Jonas Okerlund, the former drummer of a Swedish death metal band who had become a video director in his home country. He had found fame while working with the pop duo Roxette. Today, Okerlund is known for making iconic videos for everyone from Madonna and Lady Gaga to Metallica and U2. But back in 1997, he was pretty much unknown outside Sweden. Initially, after meeting the prodigy to talk about making a video for the song, he turned it down because he couldn't think of a concept. But then a short time later, he spent a night partying in Copenhagen with a friend. By the next morning, the debauchery-filled night was a blur of memories. And from that, the idea for a video was born. Jonas Ockerlund called the prodigy and said he would take the job. They filmed the video in one day in London. It's shot from the eyes of an anonymous person who is shown getting ready and then going out on the town visiting bars and strip clubs. There's lots of drugs and booze, along with violence and nudity. Over the course of the evening, the person snorts cocaine, takes heroin, fights men, drinks and drives, is involved in a hit and run incident, then has sex. And in a surprise ending, the viewer learns the protagonist is actually a woman. Predictably, the video was banned, just about everywhere. The BBC, MTV, and Much Music all refused to play it. MTV eventually caved to pressure and aired an edited version of the video late at night for about a week. It began with a warning from Kurt Loder, who appeared on screen cautioning viewers 
that what they were about to see depicts a violent and chaotic night fueled by drugs and alcohol and sexual aggression. The controversy didn't put a damper on the prodigy's runaway success in 1997. Fat of the Land went double platinum in the U.S. and earned the guys a Grammy nomination for Best Alternative Music Performance. But they were never able to replicate that same level of excitement again. And today, the group and their breakthrough album is often forgotten. The Fat of the Land was not included on either Rolling Stone's 100 Greatest Albums of the 90s or Pitchfork's Best of the 90s. In 2019, Keith Flint died by suicide. He was 49. The group returned to the stage for the first time without him in July 2022. During Firestarter, the prodigy paid tribute to Flint by beaming a green laser outline of the late singer on stage that moved in time to the music. Looking back at this next controversial video, it's almost silly now. Sir Mix-a-Lot's song Baby Got Back was released on MTV in May 92 and it quickly became one of the most requested videos on the cable channel. But it was also the one with the most complaints. The video starts off with two young white women looking through a window at a black woman in a tight dress, as one of them utters this now classic line. Oh my God, Becky, look at her butt. It is so big. She looks like one of those rap guys' girlfriends. Who understands those The voice guys. was actually dubbed in by Amelia Dorsey Rivas, Sir Mix-a-Lot's girlfriend at the time. He was partly inspired to write the song because of his girlfriend's struggle to land modeling work because of her curvy figure, which he didn't think was right. The video also features Sir Mix-a-Lot in his iconic Mac Daddy leather coat and fedora, wrapping on top of a 50-foot-tall pair of butt cheeks made out of steel and fiberglass. It looks like a giant peach and was so big that the Seattle rapper had to climb up a ladder to get on top of them. Below him, black female dancers shake their booties as Sir Mixalot praises their attributes. Wow. I like big butts and I cannot lie. You other brothers can't deny. Now when a girl walks in with an itty bitty waist and a round thing in your face, you get sprung. Wanna pull up According to the rapper, the song is a defense of women, especially women of color, who aren't built like a beanpole. He wanted women to know they're beautiful just the way they are and don't have to subscribe to the standards set by magazines like Cosmopolitan. Despite the video's popularity, an MTV spokesperson announced in late June 1992 that the video had generated many, many complaints from viewers and cable operators in the eight weeks it had been on the air. So the difficult decision was made to ban Baby Got Back from regular rotation and relegate it to being played after 9 p.m. only. Sir Mix-a-Lot, whose real name is Anthony Ray, told Vulture in 2013 that when he heard the video had been banned, he thought his career was over. But a publicist from his record label, Def Jam, calmed him down and said, no, no, now you're forbidden fruit. Now you're really going to sell some records. And sell he did. Baby Got Back went on to become the second best-selling single of 1992 behind Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You. And Sir Mix-a-Lot won the Grammy for Best Rap Solar Performance for Baby Got Back in February 93. Since its release, the song has been the source of endless sitcom jokes and late-night parodies. It's been used in commercials, and there have been countless rap tributes to the song, including the Mac Daddy of them all, Anaconda by Nicki Minaj. According to Sir Mix-a-Lot, Baby Got Back has earned him over $100 million since its release more than 30 years ago.
Sir Mix-a-Lot wouldn't be the last rapper to have a controversial video before the decade was over. In April 1999, Nas released his third studio album, I Am, which debuted at number one on the Billboard charts. It included the song Hate Me Now, which featured Sean Combs, who still went by Puff Daddy. Hate Me Now was Nas's response to critics who said the underground rapper had become too mainstream. Don't hate me, hate the money I see. Clothes that I buy, ice that I wear, clothes that I try, close your eyes, picture me rolling, sixes, money falling, bitches, honey that swollen. When it came time to make a video, Nas hired director Hype Williams, who had worked previously with a long list of rappers and singers, including Biggie, Tupac, and Missy Elliott, and was synonymous with the big budget videos of the era. The video originally ended with both Nas and Puffy being crucified. Nas plays Jesus, and Puffy is nailed on a cross beside him. But after consulting his mother and his pastor, Puffy, who is Catholic, contacted Nas's former manager, Steve Stout, and asked that all footage of his crucifixion be cut from the video. Stout agreed, but then on April 15, 1999, when the video premiered on MTV's Total Request Live, there was some kind of mix-up. The original version that included Puffy on a cross aired on the show. Within minutes of the video being played on TRL, Puffy and two bodyguards showed up at Stout's New York office. Stout says Puffy flipped over his desk and broke a champagne bottle over his head. The two bodyguards then beat him, breaking his jaw and his arm. The next day, Puffy was charged with felony assault and released on a $15,000 bond. The charge was eventually reduced to harassment after the pair reconciled their friendship with a little help from Nas. In an interview with Rolling Stone, Nas called the whole thing growing pains. As for the edited version of the video, the one that doesn't include Puffy on the cross, religious groups weren't thrilled with it either. But the rapper's depiction of Jesus remained on the air, not banned by MTV. Nas says he got the idea for the video after hearing about a play in New York City where a black man played Jesus and caught a lot of flack. So he says he decided to be crucified like Jesus in the video to get back at all those people that don't want to see a black man doing his thing. There were many other controversial videos in the 90s, including a couple each by Nine Inch Nails and Megadeth. Plus, there are some music videos that were deemed acceptable at the time that wouldn't fly in 2023. Think of that 1994 video by Aerosmith for the song Crazy which was no doubt very popular with every guy at your high school, but is somewhat creepy if you consider Alicia Silverstone was 17 and Liv Tyler was 16 at the time. Never mind the fact that Liv's dad is the lead singer of Aerosmith. Either way, the video for Crazy remains the band's most popular to date. Before the 90s were over, music videos and MTV both began to lose their importance. In fact, the channel's golden age, which began shortly after they went to air in 1981, began to decline by 1992. The station fought to stay relevant, adding popular shows like Total Request Live. But by the 2000s, MTV dropped music videos altogether and began focusing on reality TV. At the same time, record labels and the music industry as a whole was undergoing a massive upheaval, thanks to Napster and other file-sharing websites. Without lucrative CD sales, labels were forced to tighten their budgets, and that meant no more expensive music videos. By the mid-2000s, the future of the format was pretty bleak. Then, just in time, a little thing called YouTube debuted, and music videos were saved from extinction. 
Now, a whole new generation of viewers can watch the videos they love whenever they want, instead of waiting patiently for them to show up on TV. Thanks for listening to this look back at some of the controversial music videos of the 90s. I'd love to hear what you thought about this episode, and you can let me know if you have any topics you'd like me to cover on the show. Just send me a message on social media. I'm on Twitter and Facebook at 1990s History and on Instagram at That 90s Podcast. You can also send me an email at 90s at CuriousCast.ca. That's 90s at CuriousCast.ca. This episode was hosted and written by me, Kathy Kinzora. Our producer is Dila Velasquez, and sound design and final production is by Rob Johnston. See you next time for more History of the 90s. 